Welcome back to the Sober Bartender Podcast. I'm your host, Brandy Kelly. I have a special guest for you today. Her name is Gwen Ponder, and she is a fellow sober bartender, and she is a beacon of light and hope in the city of Corpus Christi, which is where my new home is. She's going to share her story of desperation and hopelessness due to her alcoholism and how she found her way out and what she found on the other side. We laughed, we cried, and we put it all out there. Please listen in and enjoy. All right. Welcome, Gwen. Hello. Hello. So Gwen, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're up to. Well, thank you for having me on here. First of all, I think what you're doing is just amazing, and I'm so stoked to be here. Uh, my name is Gwen, and I am a bartender at New Oasis Brewing Company, where I've been uh, for about three and a half years, and um, I've been sober bartending for a little over four and a half, and I'm from El Paso, but I've lived in Corpus for over 30 years, so i I count Corpus as home and I love this city, this, (laughs) I love this city to death, you know, and all its trashy gloriousness. And (laughs) I I know I belong here and um, yeah, so I'm just happy to be here. That's awesome. I got to say, I moved to Corpus. Um, I've been here for about four months and even before I started bartending, just um, going out and looking for work and, you know, my, my husband drinks. So we found, um, goalies where I work now. And all I heard at first was you got to meet Gwen, you got to meet Gwen and customers. Oh, you're sober. You got to meet Gwen. And, you know, a lot of times you're like, just cause somebody else is sober does. But the more I hear, I'm like, I can't wait to freaking meet Gwen. <laughs> so this is the first time this is happening. And I'm so excited that we get to capture it and share it. Me too. So everybody's heard my story, but can you tell us what brought you to the point of becoming a sober bartender? Like, just just let us know what it was like and what happened. Sure, sure. Um, so I think like a lot of people, I started drinking at a very young age. Uh, I remember uh, my dad is an alcoholic. He's been sober in AA over 30 years. So I think he just celebrated like his 33rd or 34th sober uh, birthday. So um, I come from a long line of alcoholics. It's not like I'm some kind of anomaly, you know, but um, for me, drinking has just always been present in my life, whether it was my family drinking or them giving me drinks when I was little, (laughs) you know, and like, there's a picture of my dad holding a beer to my mouth when I, when I was a kid. So it's, you know, it's kind of just yeah, how life was, you know, and I, I really didn't think about it, that it was maybe dysfunctional. So I started drinking when I was about 12 and it was an on and off thing. And I, I started a pattern of, really leaning into the drinking and, and using it as a, as a way to feel better. And then a way of me kind of recognizing I was getting out of control and being able to pull myself out of it. So I kind of always self-regulated in that way. You know, in high school, I was, I grew up in El Paso. So we were going to party over at Juarez all the time. (laughs) 
<laughs> you could walk over in Mexico in those days. You know, when I was 14, I was going to a foreign country, not foreign to me, but, yeah. you know, a different country and getting messed up and, and walking back over, you know, and, and um, I recognized I was getting out of control and I had my parents put me in private, private Christian school because I knew it was getting crazy. And, and that was a pattern I kind of set forth for my whole life. And, but every time I would go back out drinking, I would get a little bit crazier, you know? And, uh, so that continued and, um, it was just like, I was a fun party girl, you know, and I was a fun party girl up until I wasn't. And for me, what happened was I was head of the developmental writing department at Texas A&M Kingsville. So I have a, a bachelor and master's degree and uh, I was an academic and, and I loved it. And I got my program taken from me because of the 2008 recession and they were cutting programs, cutting programs. And they cut my program. And uh, I all of a sudden as a single mom had, had no paychecks coming in. And so I had bartended before and I think I was like 30, what am I now? I'm 47. So I guess I was about 35, 36, and uh, I went back to bartending. And that, for me, was kind of the big turn down the rabbit hole, you know, because then it was like, oh, I can do, you know, my favorite things. I can drink while I'm working and I get to socialize. And I got a job at my bar I always hung out at all the time anyways. And so all my friends were there and I got to make money and drink, you know, and, um, and that, that took only about a year before my family had an intervention. And then, um, I started my first medical detox over at Charlie's place. And that was not the end. That was the first of so many medical detoxes. And little did I know what I was about to, what path I was about to go down, you know? Um, so I was one of those constant, medical detox out for a little while. And I would start drinking again, cause I'd feel good, you know? And, um, then I get to the point of being physically addicted and I'd have to go to medical detox. And it was just constant hospital visits for me. I, uh, I got the DTs when I detoxed cold Turkey and, um, ended up in the hospital for a while. And, got out and was drinking less than 30 days later, you know, it's just insanity. It was just insanity. And um, it was just me trying to find my way and I just couldn't find it. And for my family, it was very frustrating because my dad had gotten sober the first time. You just stopped drinking in AA. You just stopped the first time and they just couldn't understand why I couldn't get it, you know? And I burned through everybody. I burned through my friends. I burned through my family and, and I ended up living out of my car and I lost my daughter. My family took her from me and, and rightfully so, you know, but that was kind of like really what led to the final bottom was I had nothing holding me together at this point. I didn't have anywhere I was living, you know, I just was in my car and trying to stay places or sleeping in my car places and went through three medical detoxes in less than three months and it was just crazy. It was crazy. And, and finally I was done, you know, and I called my brother and he's a, he's an ER nurse. And I said, this is, I, I was like, I promise, you know, although I've said that so many times, this is, you know, it's so weird, but when you know that you're done, you just somehow know. 
is the only thing I can say. And, and you know, people are like, how do you know? How do you know? You just know. I don't, you know, I don't know how else to explain it. Something happens. The final puzzle piece fits or it clicks or whatever. And, and I was just like, I'm done. I'm finally done. I know I'm done. And that was May, 2018. And, um, he went into the ER, his ER with me and, you know, did my IV and had me checked in. And, you know, the doctor was basically told me, he's like, I don't know why you're trying to commit such a slow suicide is what he told me. And, I was like, I'm done. You know, I'm done. I'm done. And, uh, and I was, and now it's like, that was May 4th. May the 4th be with you. May 4th, 2018. <laughs> but I didn't, I got out of rehab and I didn't know what to do because I I just knew how to bartend and I didn't feel the confidence to go back to teaching because I just felt like I didn't belong in teaching. I'm just, you know, I just had this vision of this view of myself as being just a fuck up. And, and I didn't feel like I deserved to, to go back to teaching. And I love bartending, you know, I, I really do. You know, I do. I love being around people. I'm good at it. And uh, so I just stayed bartending and, and I was lucky enough that Kelly hired me over at Gully's and they believed in me and they supported me, which I think is so important. I don't think I could have worked at, my old bar, I think I would have gone drawn back in, but at goalies, everyone, the regulars, everyone was super supportive of me. They didn't think I was a weirdo or they weren't just like, you know, you don't belong with us or something. You know, it was just a very inclusive, inviting, welcoming family environment, I felt mm-hmm. like. And so it, it worked, you know, and I could say bartending and I went, I feel like I'm talking a lot, but I, <laughs> that's what you're here for. You're doing okay. great. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I did the 90 meetings in 90 days, like they tell you to do, you know, and, and at that point, I was ready to do anything. You know, I think that's probably what the final straw was. I was really ready to do anything there was to do. And, and my problem with AA the whole time had been, I don't believe in, in God, you know, and I don't believe in a God. I don't believe in any, you know, anything like that. And it was really hard for me, the whole God thing. Um, I'm, I grew up in the church. My mom was a pastor. My stepdad is a pastor. I'm a pastor's kid. And so for me, at first, the God word was really loaded, you know, but when you are desperate to get sober, when you are so sick and tired of being miserable, you'll do anything, you know, you'll just be like, whatever, whatever you say, you know, I'm willing to forgo all of my, you know, problems with preconceived notions yes yes and and i'll i'll do anything that needs to be done and and i think that's probably what the key is is just being there it's surrender yes you just described the being ready and the being willing to just take whatever is given to you it's just surrender to let something else take over yeah yes absolutely 100 percent. and so i dug in you know and um I did the 90 meetings in 90 days. I made sober friends. And um, that was one of the things I was so scared of was that my whole life revolved around drinking. All my friends drank. All my friends drank in the bar where I worked. So I was, you know, that was my life. If I, you know, I got out at 8 p.m., I would stay there drinking the whole rest of the day, you know. I was really terrified. What, What is, who am I going to be? What is my life even going to look like, you know? I'm not going to have any friends. I'm not going to have anything to do. I'm just going to sit at home, be a lame And, you know, 
that's not at all the case. <laughs> that's not at all how it turns out being. I mean, I guess you could make it that way if you want to stay miserable, but I made new friends. I also kept my old friends, but I also made new friends and I found an AA group that worked for me. It was it was called Free Thinkers and it's a secular AA group. And so the focus was more on personal responsibility than it was on any kind of like a religious figure, which for me um, was like, ah, yeah, I finally found somewhere where I fit, you know, Mm -hmm. and I fit in there and it was really great. And I stayed in that group for a couple years. Um, And again, I'm so stubborn. I'm just so stubborn. And I just rode the pink, what they call the pink cloud for the first two years. I didn't work all the steps. I didn't even get a sponsor. Um, I kind of did, but I kind of didn't. And then the, um, and I think for me, I was so far down. Like I was medically at the point where there, the doctors told me I had about a year to live. If I kept drinking, my liver was about to go out, you know? And, um, And so for me, that was enough to keep me sober for those first two years. But then the pandemic hit and all the bars closed. (laughs) And, you know, like everybody else, I was stuck at home with myself. And it was kind of like because I hadn't worked the steps. I hadn't totally dealt with all of my shit, you know. I, I had dealt with some of it just through going through meetings and sober friends and all that stuff, but I hadn't really gotten all the way in. And when the pandemic hit and I was stuck at home, it was, it was the strangest thing. It was like everything, all of my stuff just started coming out and I was crying all the time. I was depressed. I was even suicidal at one point. And I thought, what the heck is going on? And it hit me. I hadn't even done all the steps. You know, I was seriously just riding that pink cloud high and and it was, and that burst, you know, that was done. And I was really faced with myself and I got a sponsor (laughs) and I worked the steps and lo and behold, all of that stuff, I worked through it and it's gone, you know, (laughs) duh, so stubborn. (laughs) You hear it for two years. Yeah. 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 But I feel great. I don't need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know your your shit will find its way out, no matter how much you try to stuff it down. It's gonna come out, mm-hmm. and it's gonna affect your life in really negative ways. So, man, and that was like, a, and something I've kind of realized too is my recovery kind of has like, um, uh, there's levels to it. You know, like I think I'm like, oh man, I have you know found the keys, everything, and then it's like, no, there's a whole other level that happens, and then a whole other level, and. To me, that's what's so cool. Uh, it's it's a great journey. And um, after that, I'm not going to talk about the guy that I was dating, but the, the relationship ended. And um, because I have respect for that guy. And the relationship ended and I, I ended up moving out and getting my own place. And this was still the pandemic and everything was still shut down. Yeah. Bartenders still didn't have jobs, you know. Mm-hmm. Um was a wild time but i moved into this house that had uh this huge backyard and i just was sitting out it sitting out in it with my dog and i was like why can't why don't i just start 
having, and I was having, oh, oh, I was having women message me on Facebook and stuff. And they were like, oh, my drinking's gotten crazy in the pandemic. You know, we have nothing to do. So we just drink all day, every day. And, and they're like, I am miserable and I am hating this and I don't want to do this anymore. I don't know how to stop. And it was enough women to where I was like, you know, maybe I could just start a group. So I did. And, and uh, it's called Surf Sisters United in Recovery and Friendship. And we started meeting in my backyard. And one of my sober friends, she started doing, she was a yoga instructor. So she was out of a job too. And so she just started teaching yoga for free in the meet, you know, before the meetings. And I mean, we just had all kinds of guests. We had someone on for, you know, like physical fitness. She was a fitness coach and, and, you know, people would just come in and talk you know, we would meet and support each other in recovery. And, and uh, it was really cool. And that kind of kept going up until, well, we just had our last meeting uh, this past week. So that was super cool. (laughs) What a cool thing. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I relapsed in the pandemic. Like I didn't. Oh, I did. Yeah. So hearing you, like hearing, I know that a lot of us were in that place, but I love hearing yeah. that people, you know, found something else and, you know, dug deeper and, and looked for solutions. Cause I like left Vegas to go to Seattle and got drunk and got married and got divorced. And so I love oh, hearing man. What, what direction you went. <laughs> well, I get that because. That's totally how my life (laughs) was too. So I totally understand that, you know, I was just done, you know, I'm going to, I'm 47. (laughs) Like how long can I keep this thing going? Really? You know? Wow. What a story. Yes. But your story. So I've heard from a lot of people that in between all this, you are also going to Costa Rica. Yes. So uh, I have always wanted to live uh overseas or in a different country my whole life I've, I've wanted that and I just I went to Costa like when I was six months sober and went down there and visited my friend Michelle who is awesome she's the best she'd lived down there like 10 years already so I went down there I fell in love I just loved Costa Rica I love being down there and oh that it's just great and so another one of my, I guess it's another part of me being so stubborn is that I will find a way to make something happen if I want it to happen. I will fit, you know, the square peg in the round hole, you know, like I will beat it in there and make it fit. And um, I kind of was, had reached this point where I, I was like, I don't want to bartend anymore. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting older and I need retirement and I need, you know, I need these things. And I thought, you know, I I would go back to teaching and I would teach overseas and I'd go to Costa Rica and I made that happen. And I got my TEFL certificate, which is teaching English as a foreign language. And I quit my job managing the brewery. I was working at the brewery as a man. I managed it, uh, the tap room. And it was a lot, you know, it was my whole life. And I was just feeling overwhelmed by that. And my recovery was kind of suffering because my whole life was my job. And that was me putting that on myself. That wasn't anyone putting on it. You know, I'm just, I'm a hard worker. And if I do something, I want to be done well. And what that meant for me was sacrificing my life, you know, and So I was just, you know, needing to get out of here. And so I quit my job and I moved to Costa Rica. (laughs) 
you know, and it was amazing, you know, and I went down there thinking I was going down there for one reason, but the magic of Costa Rica is that it will turn it into what it needs to be. I feel like, and what ended up happening was I actually found my spiritual awakening that they talk about in AA and, and I found it through recovery Dharma. I was going to AA meetings. They have AA in Costa Rica, believe it or not. And it's so cool because it's all these people from all over the world who moved to Costa Rica thinking it was going to cure their alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> and it only got worse in Costa Rica. <laughs> what a beautiful place to drink. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like permanent vacation. And mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, AA meetings there were really great. They were, they were good. Uh, but it was still something in me just for me kind of felt like it was missing. And, um, I had kind of gone to some recovery Dharma meetings online. I had toyed around, you know, with Buddhism here and there, because I find it fascinating. And I, I really just started going to a lot of recovery Dharma meetings and it just something clicked for me. And I was like, this is the way I want to see the world. And this is the way I want to live my life. And, and you can even see it as the 11th step in, in AA. They can go hand in hand. You can do recovery Dharma and AA. It's not like they were mutually exclusive, you know? So I started going to recovery Dharma and, and then I, I ended up having to come back to Corpus because I, I got in this car wreck before I left and a 21 year old girl T-boned me in a, in an intersection. I had the green, she ran the red. And it made me upside down on my truck. And financially, I I couldn't sell it now because Mm -hmm. I would still owe four grand. And I wasn't making enough money in Costa Rica to pay that. So lo and behold, I had to come back to Corpus (laughs) for financial reasons. But you know what? Now it's, of course, I'm like, yeah, of course I had to come back to Corpus because I'm not done here yet. (laughs) No matter how much I want to not be here per se, uh, it's not, my time isn't done. And, and I was here still going to recovery Dharma online. And I thought, you know, why not just start, start a meeting here in Corpus. And so that's, you know, what happened? So you got to bring your gifts that you found in Costa Rica and bring them back home. Yes. Yes. It, it was amazing. And, and it's been really well received so far. And it's, oh my gosh, what a journey. Uh, my girlfriend, Asia and I, she's, she and I, um, and my friend share starting recovery Dharma. And we had been going around passing flyers out. We went to Charlie's place, which is the first place I detoxed 10 years ago in March. It'll be 10 years exactly that I went there to detox. And we went in there and just handed them our flyer to let them know, you know, we're starting this new, this different recovery option for Corpus. And, you know, in case you have people that are interested in this type of recovery, the Buddhist base and meditation, you know, focuses on meditation, loving kindness. And the, the guy, the head of recovery there, he said, Oh my gosh, I'm super interested in meditation. I always have been, but I, I just can't seem to get the hang of it or what it is and da, da, da. And he said, can I come to your meeting? And we were like, yeah, that'd be cool. And, and he said, and would you guys be interested in coming back next week and giving like an hour long presentation on recovery Dharma? And that wasn't even in our minds for 
anything we were even thinking of doing. We just wanted to start this meeting and get it going. And then here we are already being asked to present on it. And it was like, whoa, we weren't expecting that. And, and I think when you when you find your path, you know, you find your way, it's like those sorts of things just start happening, you know? I'm sure you're finding that with the podcast, right? Yes. Like once you just take one step, you don't have to figure out what's all the way down the line. Like each step opens up this new, this new part of the path. And it's amazing. It just, the path paves itself. Yes. Perfect way to say it. Yeah. The path paves itself. And it's not even like it because you're not even in control. And that's the great part because thank God that I'm not in control. <laughs> I say that all the time. Thank, thank God it's not, I'm, this is not up to me. I'm just doing like the next best thing that I can do. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so we went and we gave that talk and that was last Wednesday. And I did not know how people were going to receive it. I mean, this is Corpus. We're not necessarily Bible Belt country, but it's very heavily you know, Christian down here. And I thought, you know, and a lot of people think Buddhism, oh my God, it's some scary, weird foreign religion, but that's not at all what recovery Dharma is. You don't become a Buddhist through recovery Dharma. It's just using the Buddhist uh, principles of compassion and loving kindness to heal yourself and to connect with other people, you know, and it's nothing weird or scary or anything like that. And we gave our talk and, oh, what's so great and so well received. They were like clapping and cheering. <laughs> and we we just looked at each other. We were like, is this what's happening right now? Are they actually cheering and clapping? I mean, it was just so cool. And they came up to us, you know, the residents and the rehab came up and they were so grateful and they asked us to come back and, the administration came up and they were like, can you, can you all please come back every week? <laughs> How cool is that? That's amazing. Full circle. <sighs> 10 years later. Yeah. Yeah. 10 years later from where I started, you know, and, and here I am on the other side and I was, I'm looking out at the residents and I, and I said, you know, I am you, I am you, you know, and you know, people know when you're being genuine and I think they knew that, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. You know how much here. you care. Like they're, you're not trying to sell them something and you're not trying to push something. Like they know that you're there just because you care. Yeah. Deeply. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, now we we're going to be going back, you know, I'm going back tomorrow for, um, we're going to have like, we we're going to do a presentation and then we're just going to start meetings every four weeks comes a new, um, group of residents. They stay there for 30 days. So it'll be like a presentation and then we'll just have recovery Dharma meetings till the next group. And then we'll have another presentation, blah, blah, blah. So, ugh, it's so cool. You That's know, incredible. I- and 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 I, and I was going to drink myself to death and I thought I had no hope and I thought my life was going to be lame. Yeah, like life <laughs> is over without drinking and it's so not. It's just beginning. Yes. And and I feel the the longer I go on the more I discover my true self, I or I reconnect with my true self, who I was before drinking got a hold of me, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm reconnecting with that little girl. And and when I was young, I had told my mom, I want to be, I told her I wanted to be a missionary and I wanted to go to Asia. <laughs> That's what I told her when I was like six, mom, I want to be a missionary. I want to go to Asia. I want to 
you know, take the message to the world. And, and it's kind of interesting that it's sort of starting to be that way, but not quite in the way that I thought, you know, and and I am reconnecting to that little girl. So, uh, yeah, life is so cool. It's very cool. It's amazing. I call it the unbecoming, right? Like all of the things that we like, all the armor that we put on to protect ourselves or to deal with, you know, the, the way life is happening around us. And it's like the more, the more work we do internally and the more we just walk the path one step at a time, it's like all those things start to fall away. And like, we get to go back to who we actually are. Yes. And love yourself. Like I, I truly love myself. And I remember looking in the mirror when I was deep into my alcoholism and I looked at my bloodshot eyes and my red face and my bloated red face, because at that point my liver was starting to not work and I was so bloated from the water. Um, and I just remember looking at myself and saying, you are a monster. You're a monster. You know, I had lost my daughter. I had lost everything and I couldn't stop drinking. Even then I still kept going, you know, and I just remember saying, you're a monster. And now I look at that same face, healthy face now, you know, and I'm like, I love you. And I do, you know, and like you said, it's like little bit by little bit, you recover yourself. And you learn to love yourself a little bit more. And then you invest in yourself more because you're worth it, you know? And it's so cool. It's very cool. And it is like through, through all of that, I really couldn't trust myself. Like I, that's a big thing for me is that, you know, every time I would try to get sober or even just, oh, I'm going to take a week off or, oh, I'm training for this fitness event. I'm going to take six weeks off. And then I would drink that same day. Like I, my trust for myself diminished more and more. And then when I really started to try to get sober and then I would drink, um, it was like, it was terrifying. And now I can trust that when I go to do something, I've got my back. Like I'm going to be there. So I'm okay. Like yes. in a corpus, you know, my husband got this job offer. It was a week before our wedding. We just got married in July. Oh, wow. And Texas A&M Corpus Christi reached out and offered him a job as a pitching coach for the baseball team. And I had been down here a few years before. So we, I said, you know, I almost moved there and it's gorgeous. So we, um, we moved down here and before, like I would do all these geographics where I was like, just trying to get away from myself. And this was the first time that I was like, okay, I know I'm, I'm going to be okay because I'm going to be there. Yes. Whereas before it was get away from me. Now it's like, no, I can, I can be anywhere with myself. And that's a good thing. Yeah. And it's a good thing. Yeah. Ah, I love it. <laughs> yeah. And that's like, you can't, it's hard to portray those things to people about what recovery is like. Like it just, like I hear from, once again, like I hear about you. I heard about you at the dentist's office. I had, but I went to the dentist and I'm like really anxious and like sobby at the dentist. Like I freak out. And the hygienist was like, you know, we're just chatting and she's kind of trying to keep me calm. And, uh, I was talking about the podcast. Yeah, I'm starting this podcast. It's called The Sober Bartender. And she's like, oh, Sober Bartender, do you know Gwen? And I'm like, I need to meet this lady. Like, it's everywhere I go, I hear your name. What? <laughs> I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was just, uh, I knew that this meeting needed to happen because 
like the light that you shine in this town is immense. You're everywhere without even knowing it by just being who you are. Oh my gosh. Uh, (laughs) Well, I'm glad I'm being known for that rather than like stabbing my ex-boyfriend's tires. Like I was known for (laughs) before, (laughs) but that's what makes it even better. Like the people that knew me before are like even more proud than the people that just meet me the way that I am. Cause they just don't know. Cause it, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Very mm-hmm. good point. Yeah. Like people these saw people are proud life. of you because they know where you started. Wow. That's so cool. I'm, that makes me happy. <laughs> like Aww. a local celebrity and you're famous for just being a light in the world. Wow. I didn't even know that. I don't really even like go out that much. I don't feel like, but how cool. Thank you for telling me that. Mm-hmm. Makes me want to cry. Yeah. Oh, that that's so awesome. Is like my friend group on the island is is my my friends are dying and they're dying every year. And it's horrible, tragic deaths because of drinking and because of drug addiction and it's um oh it's something that for me weighs on me all the time you know and um it is hard for me to see their suffering you know because i i'm not so far removed from it that i don't remember what that feels like absolutely And, um, I just want to do everything I can to, to light the path, you know? Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. So yeah, my time in Corpus is not done, even though I keep trying to get out of here. (laughs) I think I'm done trying to get out of here at this point, you know, whenever it's time for the next step, like, like you said, it'll just happen. Mm-hmm. I try not to think that I know what's what's on the horizon. I just, yeah. I just know what's the next thing in front of me. And so I'm just going to keep doing those things. Yeah, I I get it. And I otherwise it's overwhelming. And otherwise, you know, then it's like you become me focused, you know, and I'm definitely trying to stay out of that, just being open to however I can be used, you know, and my experiences and yeah, like our, our walk through the dark is one thing, but like bringing light to it and like bringing it out into the light. That's, that's kind of my whole thing is like, yes, all the, I did all these things and I, I did make all these choices and then I shine a light on them and go like, you don't have to do this, or this is what I did to get out of it. And here's my hand please take it and come with me. And so to me, another woman who feels exactly the same passion and just yeah, just totally. shining a light on the world. Cause because I mean, life I, is hard. <laughs> it really is. It it's really so is. hard. And so many of us suffer in silence. You know, I know so many people that are suffering that people think are just so happy. Cause I was one of those people, you know, I was out entertaining people behind the bar, but then I went home And I wanted to die. Like I either wanted to stop drinking or die. And it was almost a year of that. So thank goodness I didn't have the willpower then to take my life that I do now to take back my life. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And the, and you know, the louder we are and the more vocal we are, you know, 
the better the light shines. So yeah, yeah totally. I think uh, the, the farther our reach. So I do have a question. Do you have yeah. like a ritual or a routine for your day? Like, do you have like a, a morning thing or do you have any like tips or? Totally. So one of the things I realized when I was managing the brewery was that I didn't have, I lost that, you know, I lost any kind of routine because it was just wake up and deal with brewery stuff, you know, and, um, and, and I, that was one of the reasons I wanted to go to Costa Rica too. I was like, I need to shock my system. I need to really something. I just felt the need to do something way outside of the norm, you know, of my life, the routine that my life had gotten into. Cause I knew that's not how I wanted my life to be, but it was almost like I couldn't get I didn't want to drink. It was not like I wanted to drink, but I was also like, this is not, I know this is not how I want my sober life to be. This is not what I want it to be, you know? And so I went to Costa Rica and I went with my daughter and we kind of just ended up being like a gap, a little bit of gap time. You know, people take a gap year. We took a gap two months. She went with me and, and I was, I set the intention to come up with a new daily routine. And so I did. And recovery dharma is something that really helped me with that because with its focus on meditation, um, that's a great way to start your day. So I started my routine. Uh, I would wake up. I would meditate. I started doing yoga. Uh, that's another key thing that's really kept me healthy. Um, I wanted to be healthy and and uh, that really helped. So I'd meditate. I would do yoga. We would go on walks. We would be in nature. And I when I realized I had to come back to Corpus, I thought I'm not going to lose that routine. No matter what I do, I'm not going to lose that routine. And I've stayed with it. And, and meditation can be a scary thing. Um, so it's, you know, you sit with yourself, especially right when you get sober, you don't want to be with your, I mean, you have so many things coming into your mind right when you first get sober it's just like a, so many voices and it's overwhelming. So you, the last thing you want to do is sit with yourself, you know, but um, I found Insight Timer, which is an app for, and it's free and it has all kinds of guided meditations on there. And so I just started doing those. And from there, my meditation practice has grown and uh, that's kind of how I set my day, you know, and and I've struggled with all kinds of things in the meantime, you know, I, I tried dating for a little while and that was sort of a disaster, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, and, I, <laughs> you know, I was having different things happen in like, in like how life does. And so I would just do a meditation on gratitude or loving kindness or compassion. And that would really help me to get out of whatever you know, if I was in any kind of mood or, or it sets the tone for my day rather. So I meditate and I do yoga and I do some kind of workout and that's pretty much sets the tone for my day. Now, am I perfect and do it every day? No, sometimes things happen and you can't, but you have to be loving kindness, right? And compassion. You have to have compassion for yourself. You're not a robot. And yeah, yeah so that's pretty much what my mornings look like. And it, people don't realize what a big difference it makes just to have a something. Like I wake up and uh, I do a 10 item gratitude list with a sponsee back and forth. So that, yeah. you know, that's great in early recovery. And you think that you're just being grateful, but really you're also setting these habits to in the morning, start your day thinking about something good in your life instead of all the negative things that are coming in. 
And then I meditate. And that started with like reading a daily reflection and then writing what I thought about it. And then it grew into sitting and being able to actually meditate and clear and ground. And then I do a like an ing writing. As soon as I'm done with meditation, I journal just whatever comes. And then my sponsor and I both do that and send that back and forth. So then eventually my sponsor will do that also when we'll keep that whole thing going. But it's it's not perfect, but almost every day I just take that time. And then not that I could ever forget my alcoholism, but like I'm still, you know, I just reached two years. I'm not out of the woods. Like I need to remember yeah. that I'm an alcoholic because when my life gets good, I kind of grab it and run with it. Right. And that's led me into some trouble. So doing these things daily, not as a punishment, but this is a reward for the life that I get to live. Yes. And I think a lot of times too, it's like, oh, I have to do this thing and I have to do that thing. But it really, that's not what it is. It, it It's, you get to do these things. I have the capacity to do these things when I yes. didn't have the capacity to brush my teeth. Like, yes, I, yeah, <laughs> totally. And it, it is, it's a reward, like you said, and it's what makes life good. You know, it makes you appreciate all the things that you do have instead of focusing on all, you know, because life, Negative things are going to happen. Suffering is going to happen. But if you have that grounding of gratitude, you know, it really is what makes all the difference. Really Attitude is. of gratitude. <laughs> there are so so many cliche sayings that we hear over the years, but they're true. <laughs> they're the true. Time. Like yes. this too shall pass. It sure does. It does. Like those, those things that feel like the end of the world. And I still get those feelings, that rush of like, Oh, but now I have the knowledge of like, it can wash over me and then move past me. I don't grab it and take it and once again, run with it and let it control my life. Like that's one of the biggest gifts that I've gotten from recovery is that my emotions don't run my life. Exactly. Yes. Because it's all, it's all fleeting, you know, it's impermanent and it will pass the good passes and the bad passes. And you can stay very stable through all of it, which me and stability, I never thought would be in the same sentence, you know? <laughs> yeah. I've just always been wild since I was little. And uh, so it is very cool to discover that, oh, you know what? I can be stable. I can be the person that people think of when they're looking for stability. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah. Someone go tell my mom, you know, <laughs> <laughs> somebody write this down, take a picture. <laughs> yeah. I put that poor woman through hell. Oh, same. Yeah. But it's just, it's incredible. And I really want to shine a light on bartenders because yes. as you know, that's why I, I initially, well, I mean, I reached out because I had to, because every sign in the universe and in the physical world was pointing to, I need to meet Gwen, but also, um, you know, I'm just, I'm talking to bartenders because so many of us just in a, as a profession suffer because the service industry, Oh, you know, it's just, yes, it's saturated with alcoholism and addiction and depression. And I've lost so many, you know, coworkers over the years to suicide. And, you know, if their drinking didn't kill them, then, you know, they did it themselves and yeah, um, their thoughts did. Yeah. So I just want to show them that it's possible to like 
you know, to still do what you love and what you're good at and to still keep going, but in a totally different way. Because I, I didn't see that it was, it was another sober bartender that reached out to me and said that drank like me. And she said, I'm not telling anyone, but I'm going to a detox. Like I, I, I have to do something. And that was the only time I had heard that somebody like me may have a way out. That's a good point. And I should bring up my friend Dusty Burroughs. He started this Facebook group called Sobar, Sober Bartender. And I, I stayed in that Facebook group and he, he was a bartender on the island. He ended up getting sober and moving to uh, Dallas and he got his master's for ad- addictions counseling. And now he's, you know, a therapist and it's just so cool. But he was a, a huge rock during all my five years of detoxing and rehabs. And, you know, uh, he's such a solid dude. And he, this Facebook group has just gotten huge and it, and it ended up being for the whole service industry. It started for just sober bartenders as a community. And then it's just grown into being for the whole service industry. And, and it is, you know, in the service industry, it's hard. People expect a lot from you and it, and it can be mentally, spiritually, physically exhausting to, because you are serving people. You are in the service of other people. And, and I, you know, people in the service industry want to, they want to serve. They want to be a servant. They want to help. They want to, you know, they have those hearts already anyways. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and so he was a huge, that Facebook group was huge for me. And that was where also I started to see, oh, there are other bartenders who are trying to, who want to stay in the profession, but don't want to live the insanity, you know, mm-hmm. of service industry life. And, um, yeah, that thing was huge for me, that, that Facebook group and, uh, huge help. Cause there are sober, but you know, we are out there. And it is totally possible to do that and be happy. And, you know, and I don't look at people drinking in my bar and wish I was them. I don't because I'm so happy with my own self and my own life that the need and the desire to drink is just not, you know, a thing, you yeah. know, it's not, not to say the thought doesn't pass like, oh, what it'd be like to have a drink right now. Those thoughts just come. You can't control that your thoughts mm-hmm. appearing, but I already know that it's like, that's ridiculous. You know, Yeah, I just can't do that. And we totally get to not act on every thought that we have. (laughs) Yes. And that's, what's great about meditation too, is that you realize you can just, you can just let the thought, my dog here. Okay. You can just (laughs) let the thought go through your mind and let it pass. You don't have to focus on it. And let it be your mantra. You know, I was letting those thoughts be my mantras. And and you don't have to do that. You know, you can recognize it for what it is. It's a thought. And then you can just let it go. Mm-hmm. And it's cool. You know, it's so cool. It is so cool. Like, I would say before my relapse, I was sober almost 11. Or I was sober a little over 11 months. I drank 10 days away from my first year. Oh. Which is I don't recommend because it's very shameful and very brutal on yourself. Um, But uh, for that first almost year, it it was a fight. Like I was telling, I was fighting those thoughts instead of letting them just come and pass. I was fighting it. Like, no, I don't think that. No, I'm not going to feel that. And it's like, 
you know, it can come and then it can just go. And today there is no fight. Like you said, like there's no desire. You know, you don't, you're not doing anything that I haven't done. And I know where it takes me. And I'm thankful that I know people that can do it safely without huge consequences. Um, Good point. Yeah. And now I can recognize there are people who are normal drinkers, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not, not all unhealthy. There are people who can have one or two and they're, you know, and they're fine. They go about their day, you know, and they're I'm just not one of those they, people. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay. I don't, and that used to be something that I would focus on too, is like, why can't I just be a normal drinker? And now I don't even ask that question because it doesn't matter. You Mm -hmm. know, it doesn't matter. I totally agree. Life is good. Life is good. For meditating, I, I, I find that to also be of great help being in the service industry, because as you know, people are cruel, you know, they can Mm -hmm. be, uh, very cruel to servers and bartenders. And with meditation, I have found I'm much more calm. I used to react, even if it was just in my mind, uh-huh. you know, and just in my mind reacting to how people treated me. And now I can just recognize it as a thought, as something that's impermanent that happens. And I can let it go without dwelling on you know, how that made me feel or, oh my gosh, people are terrible. I, I just let it go. And so when my shift is done, I don't feel that need. I don't feel depleted. You know, I don't feel that need to go out and party and forget the day because the day didn't affect me like it used to, if that makes sense. That's the biggest gift ever because that is, that was a big thing for me is that I just felt depleted. Like, like everything that I had, I put out there and then you know, there was nothing left, like not ripping someone's head off or. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And um, since I've moved here, I had a hard time at first because I felt really out of place even, but you know, you worked at goalies, like it is such a family atmosphere and everybody is so welcoming, but I just, I had a wall up and I felt like it was everybody else's wall, but it was mine that I had projected. And when I recognized it and I carefully and nicely took down the wall, just lovingly was like, I don't need you. And then I just opened up. I'm happy every day. Like every day I'm happy to get in there. I'm happy while I'm there and I'm happy to go home. But like even many meditations were, are crucial. Like this last Saturday night, I worked um, for a regular birthday party. Ah, Kevin, motherfucking Johnson. KMFJ. (laughs) And, uh, you know, there's a band in this little teeny tiny bar and there's just two bartenders and um, we had two that popped in to like help. But there was a moment where I had to like step behind the curtain and I had to just do like five breaths and like yes. totally reg- like self-regulate and like ground and then go back out. And back in the day, that would have been, I got to step back here and throw back two shots. Yes. Yes. Right. And then I can deal with you. And this was just like, okay. And then my frown like switched because I knew that I was like angry. I was getting irritated with people. I was getting mad at money being shook in my face. And after I went back there, I totally shifted. And then I came back and I just had fun with it. I just did my best. I knew that people knew I was busy, but it was, it was incredible to like recognize that because that would totally be my thing. It's like, I just need to do a quick couple shots. Yes. And that's what, we, and it, it's crazy because we use the word need 
And I hear people who are still drinking say that I need this or I just have to do this. And it's really freeing to be like, I don't, I don't, I don't need that. And I don't have to do that. And it's crazy how something as simple as breathing, stepping back, taking five breaths, slowing Mm -hmm. down is, is exactly what you were taking the shot for. And you can regulate it with your own breath. It's so cool. Because we're looking outside ourselves to change how we think and feel And the answer, it's totally within us. And it's something that's totally given to us with our life is our breath. Yes. Our breath is actually, you know, that, that thing that we have to do to exist and live is the thing that can also give us exactly what we need. Absolutely. hundred percent. So this has been so awesome. I'm so glad that you came on here to tell us about what you're up to. I just Me got too. Like a, a hot wave. Yes, like, I've been having that for like 20 minutes and oh, it's not menopause. No, <laughs> it's not, not yet. menopause yet. Not today. <laughs> no, no I, I have such uh, hope, you know, for, for Corpus and, uh, and I really think it's, it's, turning a tide and it's exciting to be, to be part of that, you know? And I don't know. I'm so glad that to have met you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad glad you're here. I feel like we're on the front line. Like I'm on the airwaves and you're on the ground and we're just going at it head on. Yeah. (laughs) And the more we do that, the more people are going to come out of the woodworks too. I'm seeing it happen all the time. My friend Bill is about to start a men's support group that I think is going to be really important. I think men, I'm not going to say they have a harder time than women, but sharing feelings and especially going back to, you know, traumas, sharing your traumas is, is being vulnerable is so hard. Mm -hmm. It's so hard. And I think that's one thing I was really scared of too, is just, is being vulnerable because I was so used to having, like you said, a wall having, you know, we put these walls up to protect ourselves, but unfortunately that's keeping us from the connection that we need. Absolutely. Yeah. So. No, I love that. I feel like men need specific attention, not because they're different so much. It's just, you know, just like we benefit greatly from support from other women because we identify more. I feel like the support that men can give each other, men that have been there and that have cracked wide open, you know, to let to let things in. Um, it's really important. I talked to my cousin um, on an episode that will be out in the future, and um, it wasn't about addiction, but it was about PTSD and late life mm. divorce. And he's a Buddhist and he's a Mormon turned Buddhist. Wow. So, mm-hmm. so um, he, uh, Ooh, I can't wait for that talk. That'd be cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really exciting. Yeah. So um, hearing from him, it really did make me want to shift um, some attention and shine a spotlight onto like men and their specific needs in recovering from trauma and from addiction and, and alcoholism. So, <sighs> I'm just so glad that you're in the world. I'm so glad that you're in my world now. Same. So special. Is there any, um, like last minute thoughts? Is there anything that you want to leave us with? Mostly just hope and the understanding that recovery is a journey and there's ups and downs 
and backwards and forwards or what feels like backwards, but is actually moving you forwards and you don't realize it. And uh, just, yeah, trusting in yourself, having hope uh, and it, and it will get better if you do the work hundred percent. I totally agree. Gwen, thank you so much. Thank you. I loved being on here and I love doing this. Oh, awesome. Wow, guys, I don't know about you, but that was exactly what I needed to hear today. Our talk wasn't just about recovery from alcohol. It was really recovery from ourselves. And that's something that I try to talk about so much, as it's not just what's in the bottle, it's what's inside us. And Gwen is such a beautiful example of what recovery can do. And I'm really excited to check out her recovery Dharma meetings. I'll actually be going to my first one Sunday night. And I will make sure to let you guys know because AA is not the only way. AA has definitely saved my life. But like we said in our talk, they're not mutually exclusive. It doesn't have to be AA or recovery Dharma or, or, or. It can be an and or it can be both. And so I'm looking forward to a new way to uh, to crack open my recovery and dig a little little deeper. So if you have any questions, if you're struggling, if you just want to tell me what you thought about the show, please, please, please follow, rate and review. That helps the show get to the people who need to hear it. It just it helps my my visibility It helps my reach in the world. So please do that if you're on Apple, if you're on Spotify, if you're on Google. And thank you so much for being here. Just want to remind you that if you're struggling right now, you're going to get through this. And it does get easier. And there is such a different life on the other side. Just keep swimming. And please don't give up. I'm glad you exist. Until next time.